Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Norton, <clears throat> and today I want to talk about ancient Greek manuscripts. All right, uh, and I'm going to tell you why these matter, why this is important. Um, we're in a, finally, right? This is what you've been waiting for. Uh, we're in this series called People of the Book, and we're actually looking at how we got the Bible. Usually we dig into the Bible, and we'll get back to that in a couple of weeks. But in this series, we're, we're looking at how we got the Bible, because you can't really trust something, certainly this old book, if you don't understand how we got it or where it came from. So this is part three of a four-part series. Uh, if you're brand new and you haven't heard any of this, um, it might be helpful later today to go back and listen to parts one and two. They're on our website or our podcast, and you can listen to them there because um, we're kind of building on each week. But today, I want to share with you something that when I really first learned this about how we got the Bible, um, it changed the way that I thought about the Bible. Now, uh, first I want to read some verses. These are from the beginning of the book of Luke. We actually read these a couple weeks ago, but I want to read them again. Here's what Luke writes at the very beginning of his book. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty or the confidence of the things that you have been taught. So Luke is saying right here at the beginning of his book that he writes, um, hey, I know there's already a couple of other books about Jesus and his life, but I went and I investigated all of these stories too. I interviewed eyewitnesses, I talked to people, I collected the stories, and and I'm going to put them all together because I want to write an orderly account, or literally that word is a methodical account, uh, for you, Theophilus. Theophilus is probably a a new Christian, um, and I'm doing this so that you, Theophilus, can read my account and know that the things that you've heard about Jesus, the things that you were taught, the things that were passed along to you, so that you'll know with confidence it's true that these things actually happened. And so Luke and the other gospel writers really have this goal or this purpose in mind. They want to take the things that they've seen or that they've heard and they want to put this really important content into writing. They want to preserve it so people can read it and hear it and know it. The question that we need to ask then is this. Well, how well Was it preserved? Were the documents that became what we now call the Bible, were they preserved in an accurate manner? I mean, who preserved these documents? And can we trust the process of them being preserved? So so let's take Luke as an example today. Uh, In the first century, Luke would have written this book when he wrote it down. He would have written it on sheets of papyrus, Now, I want to give you some background on papyrus because this will help you a little bit. Um, Papyrus is a reed that grows in that part of the world. Uh, It grows near the Nile River in Egypt. It would have also been cultivated on larger plantations. Uh, They would cut the papyrus reeds. They would strip off the outer bark, that green part, and then that part could be used for for sandals. It could be used for weaving baskets. It could be used as rope uh, to tie things up. But they would take the inner part, the meat, if you will, of a papyrus reed. Um, They would uh, cut it up into strips. 
uh, soak it into water, um, and in that soaking process, it would release some of the natural juices, this, this sort of gummy, gluey substance within the meat, um, and then they would roll the pieces out flat, uh, they would layer uh, two layers of it perpendicular of these pieces to one another, and then they would be pressed between uh, two pieces of fabric and then heavy boards on either side. And then once it dried out, that substance would sort of glue it all together. Once it dried out, it could be burnished or sanded uh, smooth with a stone. And now you have an ancient piece of paper. Now, sometimes uh, ancient documents are written on the hide of an animal. Um, that was used. It would be uh, sheepskin or uh, leather, uh, calfskin leather, um, and that would have been called parchment or vellum. Um, so both parchment or papyrus, whichever one is used, and around Jesus' time, papyrus was the main thing. They were both very labor-intensive to prepare, very expensive to prepare. So you only wrote something down if it was really, really important. Now, Here's an image of an ancient manuscript of Luke. This is chapter two in the book of Luke. You can probably see now the perpendicular papyrus reeds behind this sheet, but there's a few other things to notice about the manuscript. For starters, it's written in Greek, uh, right? All of the New Testament documents are written in Greek, and the Old Testament documents are almost exclusively written in Hebrew. Uh, Notice it's also all capital Greek letters, There are no capitals and lowercase. There's just capitals. Um, There's no capitalization to tell you when a sentence begins. There's no spaces. There's no punctuation. There's no verse or chapter numbers. And this is just the way Greek was written back then. And to us, it seems like, how do you even read this? But if that's the way you were taught to write and read, um, it's it's not as difficult to read it as you think. Uh, But punctuation is added later. Uh, Spaces are added later. Capitalization within Greek is added later. And then even verse and chapter numbers are added. Now, those are actually added hundreds and hundreds of years later, but it makes it easy for us to say, turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 3, instead of turn roughly 13% in the book of Luke somewhere, right? Um, So that makes it a little bit easier. But when we use the term ancient manuscript, this is what we mean. A sheet of papyrus. Maybe a long sheet that would have been a scroll that would have been rolled up. Uh, Later they would collect sheets together. Uh, But an ancient manuscript would have been this sheet of papyrus or parchment, maybe even just a fragment of a sheet. But here's the thing. This is not Luke's original document. We don't have Luke's original document. We don't have Mark's original writing. We don't have Matthew's original. We don't have John's original. We don't have any of Paul's original letters. We don't have the original documents of any work in the entire New Testament or Old Testament. All we have are copies of copies of copies of copies. Here's what happened. When Luke wrote his original writing on papyrus and he sent it to his friend Theophilus, Theophilus had scribes that made copies of that original work and would send it to other followers of Jesus. 
And then they would have scribes that would make copies of those and they would send it to other Christian communities because they began to read this work and they found that it was really helpful in, in learning new things about Jesus. And, and it began to spread and as different Christian communities got copies of this work, of course these copies began to disintegrate and fall apart because that's what Papyrus did uh, at that time. And whenever a, a copy of the book was starting to disintegrate or fall apart, a scribe would come along and copy a new copy And so in the first few centuries of the Christian movement, it would have been scribes doing the work of copying and reproducing these manuscripts. Uh, In Jewish communities, Jewish scribes were copying and reproducing the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And then in Christian communities, uh, Christian scribes were copying and reproducing both the Old Testament, because they held that that was still important, and these New Testament documents. Now, uh, from the 500s to about the 1500s, monasteries began to oversee all of the work of reproducing and copying these manuscripts, and not just biblical manuscripts, but works of all kinds of ancient literature. Now, things changed drastically in the 1500s because there's the invention of the modern printing press. And that's when things can be reproduced in mass form. Um, But before that time, for a thousand years, you have monasteries all over Europe and their libraries become the greatest repositories for these manuscripts. And they're laboriously, year after year, century after century, through all the wars, through all the turmoil, through all the plagues, through all the shifting alliances and states and empires, it's these Benedictine monks who are laboriously continuing to copy these manuscripts over and over and over. Now, that all means that what we have today are copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. And so we know that the Bible is preserved over these long centuries, but of course, it raises the question, how well was it preserved? For instance, what happened when a monk made a mistake? And this was all done by hand, by candlelight, right? I mean, you can imagine a word was missed, a line was missed, maybe even a whole paragraph was missed. If that happens, doesn't every copy that's made from that copy, isn't it wrong from that point on? How do we know that that didn't happen? How do we know that there weren't changes intentionally made to the manuscript. And maybe a scribe is reading and copying these stories about Jesus and he gets to a story he doesn't like and he's like, I'm not including that one. And he just takes it right out. How do we know that that Luke's original version of the stories of Jesus, how do we know that the prodigal son maybe never came home? Maybe Jesus is teaching one day and everybody's getting hungry and they start complaining and Jesus just loses his temper with everybody. Maybe that's the original story. And it's a scribe later that's like, you know what? It would be cool if the prodigal son came home. Right? It would be cool if Jesus did a miracle here and fed everyone. How do we know that these stories don't get embellished or changed or revised along the way? I mean, here's the key question, if I could just kind of elucidate it. How do we know the original documents did not get corrupted along the way in this long preservation process. And I want to give you three answers to that question today. Let's start with the hard answer. 
Uh, Number one, we do not know for certain. We just don't know for certain. Uh, If you need 100% certainty uh, that there are no no errors, uh, no embellishments, no corruptions, no mistakes in this long process of preservation, I just can't, I can't prove that to you today. I can't offer that kind of certainty. That's a very modern desire for sort of 100% proof and certainty. And, And I just can't offer that. You can't really prove anything with that kind of level of certainty from the past. Now, we can look at evidence And that's what historians do. That's what archaeologists do. We look at evidence, and as we accumulate evidence, we can draw conclusions. And the more evidence we have, and the better evidence we have, the stronger our conclusions can be. But we can never prove something with 100% certainty. All conclusions about history or about the past require some level of uncertainty and therefore some level of faith. And I don't even mean religious faith. I just mean whenever there's uncertainty, you have to fill that gap with some sort of trust or faith. And so when there's a really large gap of uncertainty, it requires a whole lot of faith. And when there's a little gap of uncertainty, it requires just a little bit of trust and faith. But if you're looking for 100% certainty with no gaps, 100% proof when it comes to the Bible or, or Jesus, just to be super honest with you, I can't provide that. No one can really provide that for you. Now, that might feel a little discouraging, so let me give you two more answers that are maybe more hopeful or at least helpful. Number two, all ancient documents are copies of copies of copies. We don't have the originals of any documents from ancient history. All documents are copies of copies of copies. Everything we know about ancient history comes from works of literature that are copies of copies of copies of the originals. And so if we were to conclude, well, I'm not sure I can trust the stories about Jesus that are written down in the gospel accounts because we don't have the original gospel accounts, We only have copies of copies of copies from so many years later and it's really possible that that they could have been manipulated or embellished or there could be errors or they could have gotten corrupted along the way. So I can't trust those stories. If we conclude that, then we can't trust anything we know about Sumer, about Egypt, about Assyria, about Babylon, about Greece, about Alexander the Great and the Peloponnesian War and the Roman emperors and the Roman Empire because everything we know about all of this history comes from works that are copies of copies of copies of ancient documents. And so if we want to evaluate uh, the trustworthiness of the biblical manuscripts that we do have, How trustworthy are they? How reliable are they? Can we trust them? Then we have to draw comparisons to other ancient documents. And then we evaluate those documents. And this is what the work of historians and scholars, this is what they do. They look at the manuscripts that we do have of any ancient work, and they ask a few important questions. We'll put these up there. They ask, uh, how many ancient manuscripts do we have? So before the printing press, when things changed drastically, how many of these ancient manuscripts do we actually have of a work? 
Uh, and then second, uh, how consistent are the different copies that we have? So if we have um, 10 different copies of the book of Luke, ancient manuscripts, are they all exactly the same? Are there little differences? Because that means a mistake was made somewhere. Like, so which one is more authentic? Which one's more reliable? Are there really big differences? Uh-oh, now we have a problem. So we have to evaluate the consistency of the different manuscripts that we have. And then really important is how old are the oldest manuscripts that we have? How close is the oldest manuscript of an ancient work to the time when it was actually originally written? How much time is there in between where corruption might have taken place? So let's take a few minutes and compare. And we're just going to look specifically today at the New Testament and kind of focus on the gospel accounts. Let's compare them to some other ancient works of literature. Let me just give you two examples. Uh, The first is a work written by Julius Caesar called On the Gaelic War. On the Gaelic War, uh, Caesar was a, a Roman general in uh, the first century BC who fought a number of battles for the Roman Empire in ancient Gaul. Gaul is now called France or uh, it also included parts of Belgium and Switzerland and Germany. But ancient Gaul was that part of Western Europe. And so Julius Caesar is this Roman general who goes there and he fights against all the people there to conquer that part of the world and include it in the Roman Empire. And it takes place from about 58 BC to 50 BC. This is when the Gallic Wars happens. And at the end of that time, he writes this history of the Gallic War. And this becomes a definitive source of what we know about ancient Gaul at that time period, about ancient Roman military history, about how they conquered different peoples, about customs and cultures in that time and in that place. It's a really important historical work. And just like the gospel accounts, we don't have the original version that Caesar wrote. It was copied and copied and copied until the printing press in about 1500 AD. So this image is the oldest copy we have of Caesar's Gaelic War. It was found in a Benedictine monastery in France because, again, it was the monks that preserved not just the Bible but other important works of ancient literature. And the oldest copy we have is dated to about 900 A.D., So about 950 years, it was written in 50 BC, 950 years between when it was originally written and the oldest copy we have. And we have 12 manuscript copies discovered before, uh, dated to before the time of the printing press. So that's the first example. Here's a second example. Um, A Roman historian named Tacitus wrote a very famous work called The Annals. It covers the period of history in the Roman Empire between 14 AD and 68 AD, the exact time that Jesus lives and the beginning of the Christian movement. The Annals is 16 different works, uh, volumes uh, in this one work, and it's considered the definitive source of information about the Roman Empire at this time. Everything you learned in middle school, in high school, on the History Channel and the documentaries you watch, everything you learn from there about the Roman Empire at this time period is largely based on Tacitus's work. Tacitus originally wrote these books in about 100 AD. Some of the volumes have been lost. Volumes seven through 10 have been lost. We don't have manuscripts of those. We know they exist because they're referenced, but they're just gone, they're missing. We don't have them, so we don't know what was said in those volumes. But for the other volumes that exist, we have about 30 
manuscripts or fragments of those other parts of his work. This is a picture of the oldest manuscript of the annals that we have. It was found in a Benedictine monastery, again, thank you monks, uh, in Germany, and it's been dated to about 1,000 AD. So again, about 900 years of copies lost in between when Tacitus originally wrote this work and the oldest manuscript we have. A lot of time, right, for corruptions, for mistakes, for errors, for revisions. And yet, I can tell you, all historians see these documents as reliable. They believe that what we have, the manuscripts we have, are extremely reliable, and so much of what we know about the Roman Empire at this time comes from this work. So that's just two examples. Here's a bunch more. Let me give you a chart, and I'm not going to go through all of these, but you can just see this is how it is with ancient documents at that time. We have very few copies of most of them from before the invention of the printing press. And the oldest copies we have are usually dated 900, 1,000 years later. And the best case up here, 700 years later, Josephus, Plato, Aristotle, Homer. Homer is the best we have. The Iliad uh, is the best. We have more manuscripts of the Iliad, ancient manuscripts we found because it's a really popular work. But still, the oldest manuscript we have of the Iliad is 900 years after It's original. So how does the New Testament compare to this? Well, let me show you a different chart. Uh, These are a few examples of the New Testament manuscripts that we have discovered. The first three are codices. Uh, A codex is the ancestor to the modern book. Uh, They realized that long scrolls weren't great, and so they began to take sheets of papyrus, and they glued them or bound them together on the end and basically created uh, the ancient form of the book. And so we have three uh, really important codices that um, scholars uh, rely on all the time called Alexandrinus, Ephremi, and Beze. They usually name a manuscript or a codex um, either after uh, an archaeologist that found it or where it was found or sometimes even the library that it's currently in today. Um, So these three contain some of the most important documents of the Bible in the New Testament and they've been dated to about 400 to 450 AD. Now the New Testament documents, remember, were written between about 40 and 90 AD. So that's only 310 to 410 years removed from the originals. Way better than any of the other documents I just showed you. There's two more codices I want to tell you about, um, Codex Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. Uh, Let me give you the story of Codex Sinaiticus because it's fascinating. Um, In the 19th century, a German biblical scholar uh, visited St. Catherine's Monastery. This is a picture of St. Catherine's, which is a Greek Orthodox monastery right at the foot of Mount Sinai. So this is in between Egypt and Israel at the foot of what's believed to be Mount Sinai, probably where the Israelites camped and where Moses went up on the mountain as described in the book of Exodus. Uh, Quick side note, if I could make a pilgrimage anywhere in the world, like this would be on my top five list. It just seems like this mysterious and amazing uh, place. So in 1845, uh, German biblical scholar Constantin von Tischendorf uh, visited this monastery and he's there and um, he's in the great hall and there's this huge trash bin sitting next to the fire. 
And there's all these ancient pieces of papyrus in there. And they're disintegrating and they're falling apart. And he realizes this is actually not the trash bin. This is the kindling bin for the kindling to start fire. And he asks the monk, like, hey, what's going on with this? And the monk says, yeah, those are falling apart. They're disintegrating. We don't need those manuscripts anymore, so we're just using them. And he's like, um, can we just save those? Can I, take, can I take a look at them? And he goes and he takes a look and he realizes there's Greek writing on them. And he knows Greek because he's a scholar and he realizes it's actually a translation of the Old Testament. And he begins to ask the monk, do you have other manuscripts like this that are maybe, you're not ready to throw away, that are better preserved? And the monk's like, yeah, we actually have a whole room of some pretty awesome manuscripts. And that's where Codex Sinaiticus is first discovered. We have Codex Vaticanus as well. And these two codices contain almost the entire Bible. They contain parts uh, or most of the entire New Testament and about half of the Old Testament. And they've been dated, both of them, to about 350 AD. So two outstanding manuscripts about 300 years after it was originally written. There's a bunch of individual papyri that have been found. Here's a couple of collections. I'm just giving you the highlights, the Chester Beatty papyri and the Bodmer papyri collections. In those two collections alone, we have two full gospel accounts, the whole gospel accounts, a bunch of Paul's letters, the book of Hebrews, and then portions of a whole bunch of other books in the New Testament. They've been dated to 150 to 200 A.D., So now we're like 60 to maybe 160 years from the originals. One more. This is a picture of the Rylands papyrus fragment. It's a famous uh, fragment. It's the oldest New Testament fragment that we found. It's in um, in a library in London. You can actually go see it. It's just a very small fragment Uh, It has Greek writing on the front and the back, and it's pretty easy to identify when you know Greek that these are verses straight from the book of John. So this was a page that was part of a scroll or a very early codex of the Gospel of John. And get this, it was found on the Nile River. And it's it's been dated to like 100 to 150 A.D., Now, John was one of the last books written in the New Testament. We know that John wrote his gospel probably around 90 AD. So this fragment was found on the Nile River. John writes his gospel in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And we have a fragment that's maybe 10 years or even a few more decades removed from the original. Now, does that prove anything this morning? Well, no. What is it evidence of? It's evidence that the writings of the New Testament are way better preserved, way better maintained, way better collected, way better documented than anything we have from ancient history. If we put that big chart back up there, Remember, Caesar, Tacitus, and the others are 900, 1,000 years, in the best case, 700 years removed from the, the best fragment or manuscript we have from when the original was written. The one that stands above the rest is there at the bottom, the Iliad. We have 650 manuscript copies of that one, which is amazing compared 
to all of the others. So manuscript copy would be either a full codex or just a manuscript sheet or just a tiny fragment like the Rylands fragment, 650. But even in that case, the oldest one is 900 years removed from the original. Now compare that to the New Testament. We have over 5,000 manuscripts that have been discovered of the Greek New Testament. The oldest one is maybe 10 years removed. Maybe a handful of years more from when it was originally written. And for me, this is powerful, powerful evidence that something happened in Jerusalem in the first century. And the men and women who were there, they had to write it down. And they had to tell other people about it. And they had to get this message out. And they had to make sure that it was preserved better than anything else from ancient history. It's powerful evidence. And and I share all that with you today, not as a pastor or a preacher or even a follower of Jesus, just as a historian looking at the documentary evidence. And it really leads to the third answer I want to give you to this question today of how do we know? Were these gospel accounts corrupted along the way? Well, number three is the biblical documents are way, way, way better preserved than anything else we have from ancient history. And if you're someone who has doubts or questions or suspicions about these books and about these documents and about what they say and how well they were preserved and is it possible they could have gotten corrupted. I get it. I'm right there with you. I have those questions and those doubts as well. But when you look at the evidence, when you ask questions about the historical reliability of these documents, if you don't believe that these documents are reliable, you have to throw out everything else we have from ancient history. Take the textbooks you were given in middle school or high school and rip them up. Turn off the history channel. Boycott it. Say everything is wrong. Because if you're willing to believe any of those things that we know about Greece or Rome or all of those things, then you have to see we have so much more evidence to believe that the stories about Jesus are true than any of those others. And if you want to raise any kind of questions, here's the one that keeps gnawing at me. Why is there such a disparity? Why is there such a massive difference? I mean, you think about the glory of the Roman Empire. We've all seen Gladiator, right? The glory of the Roman Empire. You think about the funding and the resources and the pride of the victories and the emperors and the conquering and everything they did. And the greatest histories we have are a thousand years later. And we just have a few copies and volumes have been lost. And then you think of this tiny movement of basically peasants and fishermen who are listening to this guy who's a Jewish teacher who's executed as a common criminal in the backwoods armpit of the Roman Empire. And the stories about him and his life are a million times better documented and preserved than the greatest Rome can offer? How do you explain that? 
There's only one conclusion I can come to. I have to believe God got involved in one of those processes. That God is involved in one of them. That something powerful and amazing and almost unexplainable really did happen. And it was so compelling and so amazing that even these peasants and these scribes that no one knew and these monks did everything they could to preserve this story so that not just Theophilus in the first century, but so that you and me today could know with confidence that the things we've been told, the things that have been passed along to us, the things that we've been taught, the things that we've been able to read actually did happen and really are true and we really can believe it. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that all of these um, facts and details about writings and manuscripts, for those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, I pray it would bolster our faith, it would bolster our confidence when we waver, when we doubt, when we have a hard time believing And God, for those of us who might be here or listening who who are still plagued by those doubts and those questions and those suspicions, God, I just pray you would meet us in that. And that we might not just think about this in our heads, what does the evidence say? Because it all points in one direction, but that it would work our way to our hearts and we would begin to wrestle with that reality. If you are Lord, if you are Savior, if you are the one sent into our world to offer redemption and forgiveness and restoration and to remake our world, what does that mean for all of us? Help us to put our faith in that today. Pray this in your name, amen.